0: Welcome to the worship service of St. Luke's in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses, and under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. Bob Long, we are a family of faith that seeks to share God's love and bring hope to the world. We invite you now to join us for a message of hope. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that men would do to you, do so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Rachel Remen tells about a wonderful story that happened to her when she was young that really affected her entire life. She had a friend who came into a trust fund and part of the requirements of the trust fund was that she give away $120,000 a year to meaningful um, things, meaningful charities. And so what she did was she got three of her friends and she gave each one of them $40,000 And said, I'm going to do this for each of the next three years. And I want you to find somewhere good to be able to give this money. Now, Rachel was one of those friends who was chosen. She was young. She didn't have those kind of assets. The thought that she now had $40,000 to give away that year, wherever she wanted to give it. I mean, that was exciting. And it changed the way she looked at things. Now, what she found was she, she went to lunch with a friend. And they were sitting in one of these restaurants, you know, where they got a long bench and these small, narrow tables and, and a chair on the other side, and they get them all really close together. They call it ambiance. <laughs> I call it sitting on top of each other. You know, uh, This other couple, these two men, were seated right next to them. They came in. She didn't know their name was Steve and Dave. She would learn that. But it was Steve, you could tell, was very discouraged. And he spoke up and, and he said, can you believe it? I mean, we're going to finally have to stop doing all the good we have been doing now for years. The two men started talking and what became obvious was happening was the two of them helped to run a free grief counseling clinic at a hospital that mainly served the poor on the south side of L.A. And it was for the purpose of families who had lost a child you know that when a child dies, there's so much grief, there's so much guilt, there's so much anger that it quite often leads to divorce. And they were trying to provide a support group for families who were going through this difficult time. There was Dave who spoke up and said, Last year, we helped 100 families. Exactly, 100 families. What was happening was that the hospital had been acquired by another large corporation and the space they had been using for free was now going away. They had to rent it. They didn't have the money. And they were talking, you know, we've got $1,000. $1,000. We've got to come up with eight grand in two weeks and that's impossible. Now, listening to them talk, Rachel had worked in that hospital. She knew of this program. And listening to them talk and hearing what they're saying, she leaned over and she said, You got it. Excuse me? You got it. She reached into her purse. She pulled out her checkbook. She wrote $8,000 check and she handed it to Dave. They were stunned. I mean stunned. You talk about a grace moment. And Rachel was so happy. She said, that was so much fun. I want to read you how she reflected on that moment. What I realized was, if I hadn't had that money, I wouldn't have been eavesdropping. I wouldn't have listened, but I knew that I could help. And so I was listening in a different way. Three years later, when my turn ran out, I was a different person. I didn't have that money anymore, but I had some money. And I had my time and my talent and my efforts. I had something to give. We all have something to give if we listen in a different way. To start listening in a different way, looking for those opportunities To do unto others as you would want it done unto you. To live the golden rule. To have the opportunity to bless life. You have to start listening in a different way. In our scripture lesson this morning, we were reading from the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew. Now if you've ever been to Israel, you know There is a beautiful place on the Sea of Galilee, gently sloping, that they believe this is where the Sermon on the Mount took place. We believe that that was something that Jesus did. But scholars also believe that what's going on here in Matthew is that Matthew has collected lots of sermons by Jesus, all these teachings by Jesus, and put them together in one super sermon, Sermon on the Mount. And so you have lots of collections of important teachings that Jesus may have given throughout all of His ministry. So we come to the end of the Scripture lesson today. We come to that important statement according to Jesus. For He says, So whatever you wish that men would do to you, do so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Why did you get the Ten Commandments? Why did God give you the Torah? Why have you been taught all these laws? Why did the prophets come to teach you? Whatever you would wish that men do to you, do so to them. This is the law and the prophets, Jesus said. We call it the golden rule. Now what I think is fascinating is that Matthew gives us this teaching of Jesus and it's a part of this paragraph, but the rest of the paragraph doesn't talk about how you go treat everybody else. The rest of that paragraph is all about the nature of God. It's all about how does God love us. It says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who who, uh, asks receives and everyone who seeks finds and everyone who knocks it shall be opened. For which of you? If you have a son and he asks you for bread, would you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would you give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to you? Now that's all about the nature of God and God wanting to give good gifts to His children. But you know, when I read that passage, I thought, you know, I wish there was one other word that was translated different than evil as he talked about us. If they had maybe used the word imperfect or human, if you who are imperfect, if you who are human, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, the implication is you do give good gifts to your children. You know how to do that. Today is Mother's Day. Today is the day that we want to come and to honor our mothers and to give thanks for them because of the incredible way that they love us. And yet we're able to say, they are not perfect, but you are awesome. And you know how to give good gifts to your children. For if you who are imperfect know how to give good gifts to your children. If your daughter asked you for bread, you wouldn't give her a stone. If your son asked you, Mom, for a fish, you would not give him a snake. You are imperfect, but you know how to give good gifts to your children. Today, you and I come to honor our mothers and to remember how they have gone out of their way to listen differently to listen to our needs and to bless us, to care about us. And when you know what it means to be loved by mom, I believe, moms, you're the ones who help us lead into a relationship with God. When you come to know what it means to be loved by mom and to be loved by God, Then I believe it sets you in a position to be able to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. To live the golden rule, because you know what it means to be loved. I was reading a story this past week about two young men, Bert and John Jacobs. Fascinating people. They're older now, but I was reading about when they first started out. They're brothers. And they were the two youngest out of six kids. Six kids. They grew up right outside of Boston, Massachusetts. And the family was poor. I mean, there was eight in the family. They lived in 720 square feet. And that 720 square feet was two-story. And the kids were mainly upstairs, and quite often it didn't have heat. No, life was a challenge. They were economically challenged. And yet when they were growing up, it was their mom who every night when they sat down at dinner, every night she said, tell me one good thing that happened to you today. And every kid was required to come up with one good thing that happened to them that day. It would have been so easy to come up with all the bad things that were happening and all the things they didn't have and all the things that were rotten. Mom wouldn't put up with that. Tell me one good thing that happened to you today. And so they would come up with it. But then the other thing that could happen when you have that many people living in that small a space, well, you know, siblings tend to fight. You really can get on each other's nerves. But again, she wouldn't let that happen. (coughs) Her statement to them always was, do you want your sister to treat you like that? Do you want your brother to treat you like that? Do unto each other the way you want to be treated. No, no. There was no name calling. There was no putting each other down. There was no fighting. No, we're going to all treat each other with a sense of respect the way we want to be treated. Now, tell me one good thing that happened to you today. Well, that's how they grew up. And so these two brothers, they were the best of friends. And they grew up and they decided they wanted to go into business together and be entrepreneurs And so this was back in the late 80s, early 1990s. And the two of them loved art. And they decided they were going to go into art. And they would put it on t-shirts and shell t-shirts. Not probably a very lucrative business. But they came up with their art. They drew up. They put it on t-shirts. They bought themselves a, a Plymouth Voyager van. That isn't near as exciting as a VW van. Plymouth Voyager van and that's what they had with all their t-shirts and all their things and they started from Boston and they'd work their way all the way down the coast going to all the different colleges wherever there was a street festival or some sort of party and there they'd try to go sell their t-shirts they always made just enough money to keep the bills paid paycheck to paycheck they slept in the van they would eat peanut butter and jelly just enough to get by That's what they would do. Well, this went on for several years. It was 1994. 1994, they were driving back from the South heading back up to Boston. And the two of them were thinking, what do we stand for? And they thought about how there was such a negative news cycle. And I thought, 1994, a negative news cycle. Yeah, they said, there's so much negative news coming out in 1994. And they thought, we need to have some sort of a statement, how people can be happy. And so they drew up a caricature, kind of bohemian looking, with a, um, with a beret and sunglasses and a big smile on their face. And they simply wrote the words, life is good. And they printed up 48 t-shirts when they got home. They took them to Cambridge there for a big street party. And that day they sold 48 t-shirts in 45 minutes. They even sold the two off their backs. It was incredible. They knew they'd connected. So they began to produce more and more. In that year in 1994, they actually sold $87,000 in product the next year. They sold 262,000. And the third year, they sold over a million dollars. It's 25 years ago now, since Jake was first invented with Life is Good. This year, they sold over 100 million in product, 45 different stores all around the country, because so many people related. People who were struggling with cancer were able to say, you know, life isn't easy, life isn't perfect, but life is good. People who are going through divorce, people who are struggling economically, whatever the struggles were, we were able to relate and be able to say, life isn't perfect, it isn't easy life is good. Name me one good thing that happened to you today. People could relate. And so it has been incredible what has happened in the last 25 years. But what I thought was interesting as I was reading this article about their business was that early on they made a decision to take 10% of their profits and create the Life is Good Children's Foundation. And for all these years, as they have made more and more, they have been giving more and more to this children's foundation to try to help kids who are growing up in economically challenged situations. Why? So whatever you wish that men would do to you, do so to them. For that is the law and the prophets. How are we called to live? I need to listen differently, to understand your hurts and your needs and your pain and to be able to reach out and to bless, to do to you what I would want done to me, to live the golden rule. It changes our lives and it changes the world. Today, moms, we have come to honor you because I really believe that the way you love is the greatest or closest representation to the way that God loves us here on earth. That you are the one who listens in a different way. You are the one who senses our needs. You are the ones who help make us feel loved and not alone. And when we feel that, then we can be the people who truly go out and live the golden rule to do unto others as we would have it done unto us. And that changes everything. It's why we honor you today, and it's what I want us to think about, and I I want to share with you just two ideas. First of all, I really do want to say thank you, moms, for listening differently, for listening to our needs and helping us to feel special by the way you care for us. You know, it's been the kind of thing that when you feel loved, it really does change everything. It really isn't just about physical needs. It's about someone listening enough that they understand your hurt and your fears and your struggles. The insecurities. It's what moms can do for us and we really can do for one another. I saw an interview on TV just this past week with Laura Schroff. I don't know if you remember Laura Schroff. I told her about her several years ago now. She wrote the book, The Invisible Thread. When I saw her being interviewed, she's now in her 60s, and she was talking about how much her life changed forever back in 1986 when she was in her early 30s. It was then that she was actually working as a marketing advertising agent uh, there in New York City. She was walking down the sidewalk back to her office When there was a a young man, an African-American boy over here on the side, panhandling, asking for money, and he asked her for money, and she never even looked at him. She just walked on by. But She got about a block down the road when she stopped and turned around and looked at him and just stared, and she said, I felt like it was an invisible thread pulling me back. She went back to him and said, why are you asking for money? He said, because I'm hungry. I want to eat. She said, how about I take you to McDonald's and I buy you lunch? He said, that'd be great. Can I have a hamburger? Yes. Can I have fries? Yes. Can I have a chocolate shake? You can have anything you want. She took him to McDonald's and they went in. He ordered lots and he scarfed it down. And in the meantime, they talked and And she learned some about him. His name was Maurice. He was 11 years old. He lived right near there. She shared a little bit about herself. They had a lovely lunch that Monday, and she went on to work. It was a few days later, though, she started thinking she really wanted to see Maurice again. So she went back out on the streets around noon to be looking for him, and there she found him. He was still there panhandling, asking for money. And she said, why don't we go to lunch at McDonald's? It was a Monday. They went back to lunch at McDonald's on Monday. Little did they know, they would eat lunch together at McDonald's for the next 150 Mondays in a row. And 30 years later, they are still the closest of friends. Maurice's life is incredibly different. Married, children, education, job. It started... Lunch at McDonald's at 11. What he started sharing was, he lived right near there. His mom, she was on crack. Everybody was doing drugs. Nobody in the family had a job. He had never seen people go have a job before. No, they all just lived together. It was mean. It was dysfunctional. And the reason he was on the street, he literally would starve to death. In 1986, there was no such thing as the free lunch at school. He had to beg or he would starve. And so as Laura got to know him and they're having lunch, she finally said one day, what do you do the rest of the time? Well, that's why I got to beg or I'm going to go hungry. And she said, look, I'm going to give you lunch money. I'm going to give you lunch money so that every day you can buy lunch at school. You're going to have to manage the money. Or if you want, we can go to the grocery store and I will let you pick out what you want to eat. I'll fix you lunch. I'll leave it for you at the front desk there in our building, and you can pick it up on your way to school. And he said, you'd fix me lunch? Yes, if that's what you want. But why wouldn't you just take the money? You can buy anything you want. And Maurice said, when I go to school, and I see these kids who bring their lunch in a brown paper bag, I know that somebody loved them enough to make them lunch. The thing I want more than anything is lunch in a brown paper bag. And Laura said, what I realized was, this wasn't going to be just about physically feeding a hungry boy. This was going to be about feeding his soul. Moms, you listen in a different way to understand our hurts and our fears and our insecurities. And when we discover how you love us in spite of all of our imperfections, it changes us. It changes us because we know what it means to be loved. And I believe it's that kind of relationship that leads your children into a relationship with Almighty God to discover what it means to be loved unconditionally by God. And when you know what it means to be loved by God, when you feel loved and you are not alone in this world, it changes everything. Which is secondly... That's what I believe enables us to go do unto others as we want done unto us. To live the golden rule. You know, there's an old statement that says, hurt people hurt people. Hurt people, they tend to hurt people. But people who know what it means to be loved tend to be the people who love. It's not that life is easy or life is perfect, but you're able to affirm life is still good. And if you know that life is good because of the love of Almighty God for you, the love of a mother for you, then you are able to go out and to love others. Whatever you would wish that men would do so to you, you do so to others. That's the law and the prophets. To live the commandment that Christ calls us to. What a difference that would make in our lives. What a difference it would make in the world. You know, this week I'm going to take a group of 25 to 30 year olds from our church and we're going to Washington, D.C. We're going to go to D.C. and we're going to go to the Museum of the Bible. We're going to talk about our faith. And then we're going to go to the Holocaust Museum. And then we're going to go to the African American Museum. And then we're going to wind up going to the National Cathedral. And we're going to wind up ending at the Lincoln Memorial. We're going to talk about social justice and what has gone on in our country and what goes on around the world and how often in our world and our country we do not live by the golden rule. Whatever you wish that men would do unto you, do unto others. No, if we lived by that, how different history would be. You know, you think about, if we lived by the golden rule, how different would Washington, D.C. be? Oh, my goodness. You remember as Coach Tom Osborne from Nebraska, after he was elected to Congress, I heard him talk and say, nobody in Washington knows the golden rule. Now, before we throw our politicians under the bus, though, let's ask them about ourselves. How do we live at our office? How do we live at our school? How do we live in our church? How do we live in our home? Is our first commitment to the golden rule? To do unto others as we would want them to do unto us? Is that really what motivates us and our standard? Jesus said... On this depends all the law and all the prophets. He must have thought it was mighty important. I find that you and I can do that easier if we know what it means to be loved by God, to be loved by you, Mom. You have the power to change our lives and to change the world. If we would make a commitment to that standard, the golden rule, Kent Nurburne was a taxi driver up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And he was one of these really good guys. He was a man of faith, a man of compassion. But he tells about how one night he got a call from Dispatch giving him a address to go pick up a, a ride. It was an address. It was in a, an okay part of town. It wasn't great, but it was a poor part of town. It was 2 a.m. And when he arrived, I mean, there was no one out front. There was a front of a fourplex, and he knew that many of his friends, whenever they came up to something like that, and it's in the middle of the night, they'd honk the horn, you wait a couple minutes. If nobody shows up, then you're out of there. But Kent knew that if somebody was calling for a ride at that time, somebody needed a ride. Was it maybe that somebody realized, you know, I I can't drive home, I've done a little too much partying? Is it because maybe two people had had a fight and somebody needs to leave? He knew somebody needed to ride home, so he went up to the door and knocked on the door. And the door opened and there was this older lady. She did not look well, but when he glanced into the apartment, it was so strange. It was like no one was living there. I mean, there was no pictures on the walls. There was no clocks hanging. There were a few boxes that were packed up. All the furniture had sheets on it. There was a suitcase by the door. And she said, would you carry my suitcase, please? He picked up her suitcase, took it out to the taxi, came back for her. She looked like she would need someone to steady her as she came down the steps. And she got into the taxi. She gave him an address and said, that's where I need to go. As they started to go, then she spoke up and said, could I ask a favor? Before we go there, could we drive through downtown? There's a couple things I'd like to see. And Ken said, you know, that's not going to be the shortest route. And if we do that, it's going to be extra. I know, I understand, but there's some things I want to see. Then she started opening up. She explained that her husband had passed away a while back. They had no children. They had no relatives. And now the doctor had told her that her health was declining. She was very ill and it was time to go to a hospice. That was the address. She wanted to go downtown just to see a few things. Kent said absolutely, and without her realizing it, he reached up and he turned off the meter. He went to the address she gave downtown. And they pulled up in front of this big building, and she said, that's where I was an elevator operator years ago as a young woman. My first job ever was right there. He gave him another address. He drove kind of on the outskirts of town in front of a little house. And she said, that was our first home. That's where we were married. It's where we lived. So many good memories there. She gave him another address. They drove and pulled up. It's a big furniture store. And she said, that didn't used to be a furniture store. That was a ballroom. And that's where I used to go dance. She gave him another address. They pulled up. It was a street corner. And they pulled up and stopped, and she just stared out the window into the night in silence for a good while until finally she said, okay. They went to another spot and another. It went on almost two hours. The sun was starting to come up. She had really grown tired, and she said, I I think it's time to go. And so they headed on to the address. When he got there, he pulled up underneath the portico chair. It was a hospice. Immediately two nurses came out the doors with a wheelchair. They obviously had been expecting her. He jumped out of the taxi and went around behind and to get her suitcase out and to help get her out and into the wheelchair. And as she did, she said, so how much do I owe you? Then he said, you don't owe me anything. How much do I owe you? I mean, we went driving a lot of places a lot longer. I know that was extra. What do I owe you? And he said, you don't owe me anything. And She said, why? And Kent said, well, I try to treat all my passengers as I hope someone would treat my mother. And without even thinking, he leaned down and hugged her And he felt her tears running down on his cheek. And she just said, thank you for the joy tonight. They turned and they took her into the hospice. The doors closed behind. And he knew that the doors were closing on a life. He didn't want any more fares that night. He was just very grateful that he had gotten that dispatch and not some cabby who was anxious to get off work and was angry and crabby. No, he went and pulled over somewhere and just stopped to think because he was grateful. Grateful that he had gotten that call because it had done so much to bless him and it had given him the opportunity to treat a passenger the way he hoped someone would treat his mother. Moms, we want to honor you today for the way that you listen different, the way that you love us, and help us to know that we are special. And the way that we honor you, well, I hope you will join with me. I hope you will join with me today in making a commitment, not for someday but for today to make a commitment that you and I will seek to live by the standard of the golden rule. For Jesus said, Whatever you wish that men would do to you, do so to them. For that is the law and the prophets. It is the standard by which we live. Moms, We want to honor you today by making a commitment to live that standard. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.
0: Amen. You've been watching the worship service of St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses. Learn all about St. Luke's different services and programs on our website, stlukesokc.org. We trust that you will experience God's love and hope throughout this week.